Tuesday was a banner day for the so-called progressive movement in St. Louis politics. St. Louis Treasurer Tashara Jones and St. Louis Alderwoman Kara Spencer moved on to the April mayoral contest, marking the first time two women will square off head-to-head in the general election. Jones says she's confident that her voting coalition will push her into the mayor's office after falling short in 2017. This campaign from the start has been about lifting up voices of those in our city who have been forgotten by the political establishment in City Hall. Spencer says she's hoping to ride momentum from her showing on Tuesday into the April election. And uh, I'm excited to bring a new perspective to City Hall uh, and one that is rooted in that one that is rooted in uh, data and one that can really drive results, especially when it comes to addressing violence in St. Louis. On this edition of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman joins me to break down the results of Tuesday's election and look ahead to the decisive showdown between Jones and Spencer. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me, uh, I'm sure just full of energy on this Wednesday morning after the St. Louis mayoral election. Rachel Lippman. So we're going to break down the results of Tuesday's primary. It's a historic night for a lot of reasons that I think we're going to get into. This is the first time so-called approval voting has been used in the city of St. Louis. And this will be the first time two women will face each other in the April general election. If you haven't already heard, St. Louis Treasurer Tashara Jones and St. Louis Alderwoman Kara Spencer are the top two finishers. St. Louis Board of Aldermen President Louis Reed was locked out of the second round. And utility executive and the Republican nominee from 2017, Andrew Jones, came in a distant fourth. Rachel, I was surprised by these results for reasons I'll get into in a bit. I think we knew it was a possibility that any three combinations involving uh, Reed, Tashara Jones and Spencer were possible. But the, you know, safe money was on, I think, probably a a Tashara Jones, Lewis Reed matchup. So surprised in the sense that it wasn't expected, but it wasn't outside the realm of possibility that any three of those candidates could have been the top two. So interestingly, uh, I think both Jones and Spencer were both surprised. Uh, This is a clip from Jones after she it was announced that she was going to make it to the runoff and she got the most votes, so to speak, like more people approved of her than any other candidate. Uh, This is what she had to say about the result. I am a little bit. I won't be I won't lie. Um, I, I most of the polling that I saw had me and Lewis fighting for first and second place. Uh, It was one you know one or the other Um, but as we've seen uh, our polls can be deceiving um, because we saw in 2017 I was supposed to be in fourth place (laughs) so um, but you know I was a little surprised Uh, I saw I think I saw one poll that had Kara um, 
coming in at second place and another one where she was gaining on him. And so that gave me a little pause. And I'm like, hmm, that, that is a possibility. Now, notwithstanding the fact that I, I have a pretty well-documented disdain of polls, both in St. Louis and Missouri, I do think what Jones is saying makes a lot of sense because both Jones and Reed had track records of winning elections by getting large amounts of votes in South St. Louis, which it, I don't want to say is largely white, but it has some heavily white areas, um, but also doing well in North St. Louis. Both Reed and Jones did that, but Reed came in a pretty distant third, which suggests to me, and we don't have the ward by ward numbers right now because it's 9 a.m. when we're recording this, that Spencer was able to get a lot of votes on the southwest side of the city, the south central part of the city, and the southeast part of the city, which was enough for her to go to the second round. Is that a fair conclusion? I think you do have to realize that Spencer made inroads in parts of the city where you would not necessarily expect her to, to make inroads, either of the candidates to make inroads. You know, part of approval voting Proposition D when it passed was the intent to find candidates who could build coalitions rather than just winning, you know, from their narrow part of the city, which for most of the candidates over the last many years has been the southwest side, uh, central corridor wards, uh, kind of along 64, although less so now and then picking up votes on the north side where they need. It'll be interesting to see if the coalition can stick, uh, if, you know, where the north side goes. You know, Jones does have a documented history of being able to pick up votes on the north side. When she was the candidate for treasurer against Jeffrey Boyd, she won, I think, 24, 25 wards, including some north side wards very heavily. And the wards where she lost were... Um, were southwest side wards that are most likely going to go, uh, th those would have been sort of Reed strongholds. So, you know, I was looking at the numbers last night as we were seeing as the wards were coming in, and you sat there and went, okay, for me, I saw, yeah, there's some pockets of Lewis Reed support that are still out, but when we got the... Um, the dump that got us to 84%. And I saw that the 11th and the 23rd wards had come in and were final. Those are uh, south, one of those is a southwest side ward. And one of those is kind of a central south ward up around like the Arsenal Hampton area. Those are wards that, you know, have broken very heavily for Reed, very heavily for, for Jeffrey Boyd in past elections. And when those wards came in and Reed did not make up a margin on Spencer and, you know, was not able to get her back down into third place, that's that's when I've kind of wondered, you know, what, what is this going to look like? Is it going to be Tashara and Kara going into the runoff election? Here is uh, Spencer talking to you, Rachel, after it was revealed that she will be moving on to the April runoff. Yes, I mean, we started out at ground zero. We had no money, we had no name recognition, single digit approval. And, um, you know, look, we got out there, we um, told a great story about what St. Louis can be and what we what I will do as your next mayor if I'm elected to serve our city in a different way and it was uh, people were excited to hear that and so um, I think that was reflected today in the result. So this is going to be kind of an insular wonky analysis for me but this I think is really important to point out. I think the biggest outcome of, of Tuesday's election is this is a death blow to the, the faction that has dominated St. Louis city politics for more than 20 years. It's often called like the establishment faction. It, it's a faction that gets a lot of 
financial support from business groups and business leaders, as well as labor unions. This faction was able to keep Francis Slay in power for four terms. They were able to prop up Steve Stanger for one and a half terms, and they were able to get Lyda Cruson in the mayor's office. And this faction definitely went for Lewis Reed this time. And now that Reed is not going to be mayor and that Stanger is incarcerated, has been replaced by Sam Page, who's been hostile to this faction, it's a whole new paradigm shift in St. Louis politics because neither Spencer nor Jones is part of that faction. I mean, that was kind of what I thought was that the result of the election was less about gamesmanship, unless it's one of those things where, you know, Reed voters sort of played themselves by saying, oh, I'll vote for Spencer because she'll be easy to easy to uh, beat in the general election and, you know, then sort of played the game, their candidate out of the race. But the question is, yes, where does the labor money go? Where does the labor support go? Where does the business money go? Where does the business support go? And the the uh, one uh, sort of outlier on that union has always been the Service Employees International Union. They were for Tashara in the primary election. They've backed her in a number of her other races. So they've always been the outlier there. And they do have the ability to organize. They may not be sort of as big financial backers, although I'd have to look at the, the records to see, but they certainly have the people and the ability to, to mobilize. So that is going to be what I watch is, you know, where do the unions and the business leaders go in terms of throwing their money? Do they keep their powder dry and just wait to see how things play out over, you know, the first couple of years of the term? Or do they decide what is a lesser of two evils candidate and get behind them? As is a, a, a typical disclosure, I am a part of SEIU Local 1 because I'm an adjunct instructor at Washington University, but I have purposely said that I will not use my dues for political purposes for obvious reasons. But I do want to mention that as a disclosure since we mentioned that particular union. Now, there's been a lot made about how, as I just mentioned, the so-called progressive wing of St. Louis politics has kind of emerged triumphant since Spencer and Jones have opposed a lot of high-profile initiatives that have been propelled by that aforementioned quote-unquote establishment faction. Both of them were against bringing in a private operator for St. Louis Lambert International Airport. They were both opposed to uh, the the Better Together plan uh, that sought to merge the city and the county. Here's what Spencer had to say about that development. And I think it's a real testament to the people of St. Louis who want to see real change. And that's why you see the two change agents, I would say, uh, that really prevailed here tonight. Um, and as in the coming weeks, you're going to talk about the difference between the two of us. But what I'm most interested really in is taking a look at the difference between myself and, and uh, the folks who didn't make it into the runoff. Uh, most importantly, most specifically, President Reed, uh, who represents a different type of leadership. Um, and what we see here tonight is a real embracing of a different vision for St. Louis. And I'm excited about that. Now, I think what's good, we're going to talk more about the, the general election in the second half of the show. Um, but I think that even though the left of center voters and activists are happy about this result, I, I don't really think that Jones and Spencer our best of friends, as evidence from the debate that you helped moderate, where even though Spencer said she would have endorsed Jones if she had not made it to the runoff, Jones said that she would support Reed 
had she not make it made it. And I, I think that there's a lot of reasoning reasonings for that. Jones wants to get a lot of black voters in the North and South side and endorsing a white candidate if she didn't win would probably depress that vote. Um, but I also get a sense that there is there has been some, some bad blood between Jones and Spencer for a long time. Is that fair to say? I think that's accurate. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely have seen chatter on Twitter about people saying to Spencer, you know, drop out now, let Tashara win, which I think is, you know, when you have two viable candidates, especially uh, Spencer, who has been running for 15 months now since January, that's I mean, that's a ridiculous request to make of, of any candidate who has put the effort in. You know, you could say that about a straw candidate or somebody who really isn't going out and doing the work, you know, get out of the way. But I don't think it's fair to say that somebody who has been running uh, since January of 2020. She actually announced on St. Louis on the air that she was interested, Kara Spencer did, that she was running long before it was known that Mayor Krusen wasn't even going to be running for, for re-election. Um, you know, whatever the source of that bad blood is, I think it is actually there. And I think Spencer's uh, during the debate saying, you know, I would go for uh, Tashara Jones if I don't advance, I would tell my supporters to go for her is maybe an olive branch, sort of a pre-olive branch extending to saying, you know, can we, uh, or, and maybe she just wasn't expecting to win, who knows, but, you know, sort of a preemptive olive branch saying, you know, hey, I back a lot of what uh, your candidate, uh, Tashara Jones supporters are saying. Yeah, and not to get too insular again, but I, I know that Tashara Jones supported Spencer's aldermanic opponent in 2019, and I'm pretty sure Spencer supported Boyd over Jones in 2020, though I'm not 100% sure about that. I, I can't remember with that one, keeping track of, of who supports whom in different elections is is always a, a tricky thing to try and, and remember. But, but I do want to talk about endorsements, because I think that this election really showcased how some endorsements that were maybe useful in the past really weren't this time. I mean, Reed had the support of the majority of the Board of Aldermen, um, and obviously he didn't win. He also had the support of the Carpenters Union, which often gives a lot of money and organization to folks, and he didn't win. He also had the St. Louis Police Officers Association endorsement, and that I understand that that Entity is not super popular among left of center groups, but if I'm not mistaken, that group has backed the winner of the mayor's race for the last 20 years because I'm sure that they not only supported Cruson but supported Slay as well. They definitely supported Cruson, and I'm sure they supported Slay. Here's what uh, here's what Jones had to say, kind of about not only the influence of endorsements, but also kind of the way approval voting may have affected the process. I, I saw it in approval voting. I saw it in some of the endorsements that we saw in some of the you know more progressive wards like 8 and 15 and 24 um, that endorsed both candidates. We saw, um, yeah, and, and we just kind of, you know, heard, you know, back and forth that there were a lot, several people who were torn between me and Kara. So we reminded them that you can vote for both. So I, I, I don't really think that dynamic happened as much with Reed and another candidate. I know because I do have some contacts in the southwestern part of the city where I used to live that voters were kind of torn between like Reed, Spencer and also Andrew Jones, because there are a lot of Republicans that live in southwest St. Louis. 
I think it was more people knew who they didn't like necessarily uh, with Spencer and Jones voters and weren't sure or were so used to the old way where you have to pick, you know, the one candidate in the primary that that's why they were were torn a little bit. You know, there, there is maybe some natural constituency overlap in North St. Louis with with Reed and Jones. But in terms of policy overlap, there really isn't in terms of, you know, some personality overlap there really isn't you know they're they are fundamentally different people different candidates and you know who was a, a reeds voter natural second choice except perhaps andrew jones and whereas you could see spencer and reed or spencer and jones excuse me Deshara jones sort of being a natural second choice for each other which was the intent of approval voting you know if you're a reed voter do you say oh i want to vote for the person who could uh beat this candidate or who who my candidate could beat in the next election there was no sort of natural second choice for them, if you are a, a, you know, a Democrat and don't want to advance a person who ran on the Republican ticket the last time. The, before we go into break, one thing that does come to mind is I think the reason Reid was able to prevail in 2019 in his race against Jamila Nasheed and Megan Green is because in the southwest part of the city, Green and Nasheed were seen as unacceptable alternatives, whereas this time around... There were alternatives that I think were acceptable to Southwest side voters, and I really think that hurt him tremendously. That, like I said, that shocked me when we saw that the 11th and 23rd wards had uh, come in on that second to last dump when they got to 84 percent of the vote counted was you would have expected that with those wards coming in, Reed, maybe it would have been a narrow margin, but would have been able to overtake uh, Spencer in those in that vote total and, you know, be in, in a in a uh, narrow second place position kind of thing. But when I looked at, like I said, when I looked at that and saw that 11 and 23 had come in and were included in those vote totals and knowing what was still left out there after that to count was when we, we made the decision to shift personnel, if you will. We'll be right back after this quick break with this special edition of Politically Speaking, where we break down the St. Louis primaries. And we're back on Politically Speaking with St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lipman, who is talking with me about the results of last night's primary contest. Um, one thing that I do want to talk about before we shift into the April elections is the aldermanic races. I think that one of the big problems with approval voting has kind of showed up in some of these results. I, I think it's a really hard it's it's really hard to make a case that there should be a second round of voting in two-person races in elections where one of the candidates got 60 or 70 percent of the vote. It is impossible for me to see a scenario in April where Alderman Brandon Bosley loses when he got 75 percent of the vote, or Megan Green loses when she got 70 plus percent of the vote, or Dan Gunther. Or Beth, or Beth Murphy keeps her seat, losing by that margin. But Beth Murphy lost to Ann Schweitzer by almost what is it 70-30? Something like that. Yeah, it's not a it's not a, a narrow margin in any of those races. Now, and I'll get to this in a second. There are some races which were closer which you could talk about, but do you think the board of aldermen is going to change approval voting that if you get a certain percentage and your opponent doesn't that you don't have to go to a runoff because on its face this system looks goofy. 
I don't know, because remember that your next aldermanic election is going to be for 14 seats. It's not going to be for 28 seats. So you may have a bunch of aldermen running against each other who are all going to want a shot to get to the next round, you know. Now, is it likely that if you have six, seven, eight, nine candidates running in a race that you're going to have mo- somebody getting to 60%? Who knows? But what happens if you have multiple candidates getting to 60%? So, you know, do they want to give themselves the opportunity to get into a runoff election once we get down to ward reduction is the question, because that's going to be the next race under approval voting is the 2023, which will be down to 14 wards. So if they do, I think it may be one of those things where in you know, January of 23, they're looking at the candidates who are running and going, oh, wait a minute, I may have just, again, played myself with this. And I'd like to go back to a situation where I have a chance to get into a runoff election. You're right. It's goofy in that somebody who gets 70 percent of the vote, it's not likely to be a result that flips in April. Um, But, you know, where do you set the threshold? Remember, low vote totals are going to give you percentages that look weird, even though the gap in total votes isn't necessarily all that large. So it's the question becomes, where do you set that threshold? Yeah, I understand like having a runoff if there's multiple candidates. What I don't understand is having a runoff with two candidates and one candidate clearly gets more votes, like by an overwhelming margin. In some ways that punishes candidates that are especially good by forcing them to spend a lot of money a second time against a weaker candidate. So, for example, Bosley, Green, Gunther, and to some extent Schweitzer are going to have to like spend all of their campaign money to run against the same opponent that they're likely going to beat again. Whereas somebody who, you know, kind of got less, so the Jack Coders of the world, the Vicky Grasses, who, who didn't win by as much, Now, I know that a lot of people aren't going to be like crying in their cereal about people, politicians having to spend their campaign money, but it does seem fundamentally unfair on its face. But you also have to remember, again, that this is the first time with approval voting. You know, this is a sort of traditional candidate filing. People maybe aren't as interested. Do you get more people when they realize that, you know, maybe I do have a shot to get a candidate one on one getting into an election and expanding the field of aldermen and people who are interested, especially, as I mentioned, after the wards grow? I think it's hard to say after one race that, you know, that's a flaw in the system. If you see multiple times where there's two candidates running and it's a blowout, then maybe you tweak it. But to make that call after one race, especially when the next round is going to look so much different because it's 28 to 14, I think would be premature. But we all know that that doesn't necessarily stop politicians from doing things. So let's talk about the April election a little bit more. Um I think that there are a number of ways this election can go. This could be a repeat, essentially, of Jones's race against Jeffrey Boyd or Kim Gardner's reelection, where Tashara gets overwhelming support on the north side and wins southeastern and south central and central corridor parts of, of the city and wins 60-40 or 65-35. There's also the scenario, which I call the 2013 scenario, where Spencer wins most of the South Side, similar to how Mayor Slay won most of the South Side, 
and is able to win. Um, I actually asked Tashara Jones about whether she's fearful of another 2013 where essentially Delmar Boulevard is the dividing line between the candidates, although not exactly, because I believe that Reed won the 20th Ward back in 2013. This is what she had to say about that. I, I thought about that when I saw the results, and I am hopeful that this doesn't devolve into one of those situations. Um, but we have enjoyed a multiracial, very diverse uh, coalition of support um, from the time I ran for treasurer in 2012. Uh, so uh, we, we don't doubt that those same supporters will come out um, on April 6th. And I think this is the biggest challenge for Spencer going forward. Like it's Jones is not like Reed in 2013. She has really dedicated supporters in some parts of South St. Louis. Now, what I'll be interested to see is if Jones can get support from black voters that have not been completely sold on her in the past. Back in 2017, for example, I would argue she underperformed in North St. Louis compared to Reed and also St. Louis Alderman Antonio French. It could be a situation now where black political leaders and ward organizations in heavily African-American wards recalibrate their thinking and, and maybe like, well, we may not be completely enamored with someone like Jones, but this is an opportunity to get a black mayor, a black board of aldermen president, and a black comptroller that make up the powerful board of estimate and apportionment that make a lot of financial decisions. And we're going to cast whatever misgivings aside so we can support Tashara Jones here. Uh, what do you think, Rachel? I think it's going to be interesting to see if Spencer can find trusted emissaries and we'll be able to know if we get the ward by wards. It will take the ward by wards to see, you know, where she came in second, third, et cetera, where she'll have to to um, to work to get support. You know, the question is, does she have enough true supporters who will come out and say, I'm going to, across the city, who will say, I'm going to come out and vote for you, ride or die. Like you mentioned, we know Tashara Jones has those supporters. It's the question is, can she flip enough, can Spencer, excuse me, flip enough of the people who approved of her in the first round to supporters in the next round who are going to come out and vote for her, not just who were, you are my second choice because I approve of your policies. And like I said, once we have the ward by wards, we'll get a sense of where that is. My guess is, except for her own ward, Spencer did not win a ward outright, that she likely just came in second in enough wards to be able to uh, make up ground on Reed. We, we got to also talk about the turnout, because turnout was 22 percent. I, I think there are a lot of reasons why. I mean, we're still in a pandemic, and there's probably a lot of people that did not want to go vote in person. And the state did not expand options for uh, mail-in, absentee, et cetera, voting in the same way that they did for the general election. Because, I mean, and, and, and let's be fair, the city is the only municipality that does a March primary. Do I think it's highly unlikely they do it for April municipals too? Yes, but it's not surprising that the uh, city would not have had sort of these special protections extended. Right. And there's a 0% chance that those protect that, that the expansion of absentee voting will be there for the April election. I don't mean to be pessimistic, but having followed this issue pretty closely in the state legislature, they're not going to get a bill passed that quickly. Usually, like April general elections in the city, 
I don't want to say they're meaningless because that's often the place where they put really high stakes ballot initiatives, but they typically don't have the decisive elections. This is there was a recent example of a decisive mayoral election in 2009 when former Senator Maida Coleman filed as an independent. And I would argue that April election was more important than the primary, even though Mayor Slay won both of them pretty handily. But this is the decisive race that for not only this, but a lot of aldermanic races. Do you think that that could possibly bump up turnout in April? I think so. I mean, remember the city's turnout for the 2019 primary was only 29%. So it's not exactly like we're dropping from, you know, 60, 70% turnout in the primary election in 2017 um, to, you know, the 22% last night. There is a pandemic. And like you said, it is a, you know, um, was not a decisive election, you know, aside from the un- aside from the unopposed wards, which were going to be decided regardless of how many people turned out last uh, last night. Um, I will be curious to see if the April numbers get up to like a 2017 or a 2019 turnout in the the March primary. If it doesn't, it's probably still COVID-19 driving down the turnout, but I have to think it'll go up a little bit just because it is a um uh it is a decisive race. And I think in the wards where, and there's really only one of them, and that's the seventh, in the wards where the person has an outside challenger has an outside chance of winning, the they're going to have to rely on getting more supporters out, finding more supporters than necessarily flipping votes of their opponents, supporters kind of thing. So I would be surprised if turnout doesn't go up a little. I'll just be interested to see how much COVID-19 is still a factor in a month in terms of keeping it below what you might expect for a decisive city election. What is the one issue that maybe wasn't as prevalent in, in the March election that you're expecting to become an issue in the April election? I think if you can consider it an issue, I know that Tashara Jones said she didn't want it to go this way, but I think race is going to play a fundamental role in this, just in terms of Jones has said in the past that, you know, healing the racial divide in the city is an important part of her campaign strategy. And she believes that she's the best person equipped to deal with having that difficult conversation. And in the fact that there were three black candidates in the primary, that issue didn't come up quite as much. But, you know, how it manifests itself in the election uh, will be interesting to see, especially, you know, how uh, Spencer plays to, you know, southwest side, certain factions within uh, white voters in the city. But I think it's going to always be in sort of the background of ev- of everything that happens in the, the general election in a way that it just didn't have to in the primary. One issue that I'm hoping gets more prominence is uh, the relationship between St. Louis and St. Louis County. I'm really glad that that issue was mentioned in the debate that you were a part of. But as a as a St. Louis County resident, um, I really am interested to see how the city and county work more collabor- collaboratively together. One of the things that's been really striking during COVID-19 has just been how out of sync St. Louis County Executive Sam Page and St. Louis Mayor Lida Cruson have been on restrictions. It's completely baffling to me that my son doesn't have to wear a mask at the St. Louis Aquarium, but does at the Magic House. 
that doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make any sense that the parks in St. Louis County were closed and the parks in St. Louis City were open or that the restaurants had different restrictions. And I know that, that there's that Cruz and Page are part of separate political factions and maybe they would argue that the city and county are different, but like that should have been one area where the city and county should have been working together more collaboratively. And I'm interested to see how both Jones and Spencer talk about how they're really going to forge a more cohesive uh, collaboration between the two entities, because uh, a lot of county residents like me do pay St. Louis city earnings taxes. So uh, we do care. I personally do care about the future of the city, even though I don't live there anymore. And I'll be interested to see what the two candidates have to to say more specifically on that issue. Rachel, thank you for joining me early on this uh, Wednesday morning about this important election. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? At R. Lipman, two Ps, two Ns. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. <laughs>